Tonight on Stu Does America, how to get rid of that annoying friend on Facebook that keeps posting all that socialist propaganda. Sure, you'll want to block him, but you can't because he keeps posting pictures of his hot sister. We have a solution for you. And the future of the African-American vote. Aaron Colon is here to tell us how Trump can do better than Shaquille O'Neal's lifetime three-point percentage. And do you want to make money off the election without having to say positive things about Mike Bloomberg? It's not easy. I'll be honest with you, it's not easy, but it can happen, and we'll tell you how. Please make sure to click subscribe and rate and review this podcast. Plus, click the bell on YouTube to get notifications whenever we post something new. And when you do, as a special offer, today only, we will send you a notification whenever your annoying friend posts a picture of his hot sister. This is Stu Does America. Stu Does America. The internet can do some wonderful things. Probably. I mean, at some point, we'll probably find something it does. But it's also the home of things that look promising and ultimately disappoint. I mean, it would be great if one weird trick involving acai berries would cure your irritable bowel syndrome. It would be great if Instagram models looked anything like their pictures in real life. But that Photoshop is one hell of a drug. I hate to admit it, by the way, the six pack portrayed on my Instagram page. In reality, it's it's a full keg. It would be great, by the way, if foods from the mythical kitchen existed. I mean, do I want to try a funnel cake grilled cheese? Yes, I do. So this is a funnel cake grilled cheese. Oh, you're really just getting in there with oh. your whole hands. Well, yeah, because we need to see how melty and gooey and delicious it is. Wow. Look at that. That's exciting. My hands burn. Ah. And the train's coming in. That's a big bite. Ah. Elliot, I'm, oh. How's it? It's really good. It's really good. Are you getting the strawberry ketchup in there? Oh. Thankfully, they make these uh, suits now in walrus size. So that one might actually happen. Who knows? Point is, sometimes you think you're getting something amazing on the internet, and then uh, you get a backhand of the face in the form of reality. That's why we're continuing the tradition, tradition of getting antisocial. You know, you identify the claims, you pick them out, whatever you're seeing over, so, over and over again on social media, send them my way, and I will absolutely brutalize them for your entertainment. Like a rash on the nether regions of the Bernie net, one claim is particularly itchy and irritating. Remember this one? Oh, remember 50 and 75 years ago when socialism destroyed our democracy and plunged America into irreversible ruin? Yeah, neither do I. It was baseless political BS then, and it's baseless political BS now. It's true that opponents of both Medicare and Social Security portrayed these programs as socialism, to try and scare people off. Sort of like how my wife continues to try to block the Mythical Kitchen YouTube page so I don't try to make Cheetos apple pie. Oh, you can hear that shattering crunch of the Cheeto crust at the bottom and just try and get a nice clean slice, which is always a struggle. And you're gonna very gracefully lift the pie out. You gotta, cu- you gotta coddle it with your hands a little bit. You gotta just mash it with your fists. Wow, look at her shine. Mmm, look at her shine. By the way, honey, if you think some simple consumer-level content filter designed to stop children is going to get in my way, you got another thing coming, okay? And while Cheetos and pie don't necessarily sound good together, remember, it all get mi- gets mixed together kind of in the j- digestive tract thing anyway, and it's... Don't worry about it. Now, it wasn't just crazy fringe Republicans who called Medicare socialism. No less a figure than Ronald Reagan himself went down this road. One of the traditional methods of imposing statism or socialism on a people has been by way of medicine. It's very easy to disguise a medical program as a humanitarian project. Mm -hmm. So let me explain something that is a, it's a bit 
difficult and nuanced, but let me try to break it down. Why would all the right get together, okay, and try to scare people by calling Medicare and Social Security socialism? Because they are. It's the government taking your money by force of law for your entire life to enroll you into a program which you're automatically eligible by virtue of just staying alive. It's not the Soviet Union. I mean, I get that, but it's way too far down that road for me to be comfortable. It's like taking peanut butter, jelly, and pizza crust and acting like you're not making Mythical Kitchen's peanut butter and jelly pizza. You are. And despite how delicious it might be, it may be delicious. If you have too much of it, you're almost definitely going to die. Hey, Emily. Hey. Uh, do you want to eat a slice of this peanut butter and jelly pizza? Okay. Just open your mind, open your heart, and allow the- And open my mouth. Uh, yes. How's it? Yeah. It's good? Yeah. That's awesome. But if you look back at our uh, little meme here, Arguing uh, that it's socialism is really just sort of a secondary point. The main point is the right tried to scare you into thinking these socialist programs would ruin our country. And they were all proven wrong. After all, it's true. Both programs remain unquestionably popular, even among Republicans. This is where it gets a little bit nuanced. So I got to break it down kind of carefully here. How can anyone defend the idea that Social Security and Medicare would plunge America into irreversible ruin? Because they have. In the next 30 years, Social Security will bring in $56 trillion in taxes. I feel like that should be, I don't know, enough to break even, but it's not even close because Social Security will spend $75 trillion. We're $19 trillion short. Medicare is somehow worse. It brings in $17 trillion, but spends $61 trillion. That's a $44 trillion shortfall. But that's not all, ladies and gentlemen. You see, when you don't have enough money to pay for something, you need to borrow the additional cash. The interest payments add another $40 trillion to the bill. Add it all up, and you've got, a, you've got you're, you're up to, geez, I mean, it's close. I can't tell. You're just a hair short of breaking even. $103 trillion short. To put that in perspective, that is more money than my wife spent on purses in the last two years combined. Now, I will admit it would be a little misleading to say that Medicare and Social Security are our biggest problems when it comes to our debt. They're not our biggest problems. They're our only problems. Just these two programs will produce, as I said, $103 trillion in debt. All of the other spending in the entire government combined will give us a $23 trillion surplus. That's right, we can pay for all those other crappy programs you know and love. We'll have tons of money to pay for programs like food stamps and Obamacare, or even mass production of Mythical Kitchen's barbecue Lay's flavored Oreos. Now they do sound terrible, but not nearly as terrible as Obamacare. It is solely, entirely, more than 100% the fault of Social Security and Medicare that our long-term balance sheet looks even worse than the future prospects of WeWork. And this ridiculous failure of a meme is bragging about them. This is why you should never learn anything from the internet, with the exception of how to make Sour Patch beef jerky. I don't know that you could find that anywhere else other than Mythical Kitchen. You see, Reagan was completely right about what would happen with Medicare. Before we elect a socialist as president, we may want to remember the rest of Reagan's warning. Write those letters now, call your friends and tell them to write them. 
If you don't, this program, I promise you, will pass just as surely as the sun will come up tomorrow. And behind it will come other federal programs that will invade every area of freedom as we have known it in this country. Until, one day, as Norman Thomas said, we will awake to find that we have socialism. And if you don't do this, and if I don't do it, one of these days, you and I are going to spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. This election is bound to be a mess. I mean, look at Iowa. They can't even figure out how to count the votes, let alone nominate a candidate who isn't fully insane. Who knows what's going to happen? I feel like we're all going to have to deal with this circus for like the next nine months. We might as well get paid for it. Wouldn't it be nice if you could make money off the election? I realize that might not be the best question with Rod Boglojevich uh, getting pardoned today. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of besides the point at this point. Predicted.org allows you to make money on your predictions. It's legal in the United States. It's going to give us a totally different way to talk about the elections this year. And you can hop on there right now and turn your political knowledge into cash. Joining me now is Will Jennings. He's the head of public engagement at Predicted. Will, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. So first of all, Rod Boglojevich, I swear you guys had a contract on the site for years. Would Donald Trump pardon <laughs> Rod Boglojevich? And then I went on there when it actually happened. I went on there to see if, you know, and it, I don't think you have it anymore. Is that true? Uh, you're correct. We did have one last year. And uh, actually, to our surprise today, when that news came out, we realized we had not uh, launched a new market for 2020. So <clears throat> as you pointed out, it, it can be difficult to, uh, you know, follow all these different political narratives out there. Um, but yeah. we try and do our best. You so. guys have pretty much everything up there listed. And it's interesting before we get into this, because every time I bring up the idea of predict it, which is, we, you know, I, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's really interesting. And what you guys are doing is something totally unique. Um, but everyone mm -hmm. says, well, it's got to be illegal. You can't, you can't, I mean, that sounds like you're gambling on the election. That can't possibly be legal. Can you explain why it is? Well, we like to call it investing for starters. Sorry. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we are, uh, we are able to operate under a no action, uh, CFTC, uh, letter, the Commodities Futures Trade Commission. Um, we had partnered with a university out of New Zealand that had a similar prediction market um, that went defunct. And our, <clears throat> our parent company, Aristotle, um, decided prediction markets was a interesting, you know, real-time signal that they wanted to bring to the state. So they partnered with the university um, and under the CFTC no action letter, got the opportunity to operate the market. <clears throat> on a small scale, you can't invest over a certain amount in any of the markets. There's a cap on how many traders can be in the individual markets, um, and, and it's strictly political events. Mm -hmm. So uh, within those bounds, we've uh, over the years kind of grown <clears throat> a, a following of political forecasters, and a lot of the data that the markets generate goes to academic research. So we've got more than 200 universities and professors who are doing studies on accuracy, doing studies on, you know, political persuasion, game theory, behavioral finance, you name it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, and it does serve a purpose other than just like, you know, because it can be just really fun, number one. Number two, I pretty much sure. replace my 401k with it at this point. I mean, you're totally right, it's investing. Um, but also it does, it does show you, um, 
at the very least, a very accurate model of what people think at any given moment. Because if you think if the if the market says, uh, you know, Donald Trump's got an 80 percent chance of winning, that thing's going to 80 because people will, will actually you know, move that market up until it stops there. It's, it might not always be reflective of what's going to happen in the future, but it does capture the mood of the moment pretty much exactly. Sure. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's certainly um, times where the markets have been wrong, mm-hmm. much like the stock market. There's irrational exuberance from traders sometimes. Um, so, you know, it, it's, not, it's not foolproof, but it's certainly because it's real time, because it's uh, reacting to everything you're seeing on Twitter, to new polling. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how that, uh, the price changes, you know, when new information comes into the market. So the way this works basically is there every, every uh, for example, let's look at the Nevada con- uh, Democratic caucuses. They're coming up this weekend. Sure. Um, here's what the market looks like right now. Bernie Sanders at 85, uh, Joe Biden at nine, Buttigieg at seven, Steyer at three and Klobuchar at two. And basically, if you kind of think of that almost like that's the percentage chance. Uh, if you look at it kind of as a percentage, it's an easy way to think about it. So if you were to vet, uh, put uh, invest seven dollars into Pete Buttigieg right now and he were to win, you would receive $100, right? And that's the way that works. But if you put in $85 on Bernie Sanders and he wins, you'd win $100. You'd win less for the more uh, likely scenario. Uh, easy way to explain it. Is there Correct. anything I'm missing on that? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, the judge at the moment is obviously the long shot. Um, so if it does turn out that he does win, uh, each, each of the shares purchased um, is going to a dollar. Okay, let me go back here. We're going to get, take a second and just look back at this at this market because I say there's one interesting part on this, and, and it's all it's all fascinating to look at. But Tom Steyer, who has led in one of the last three polls and was in the second second or third place, but close second or third in another poll. I know I went to Nevada over Christmas vacation, and he had plastered the entire city in billboards. I mean, he is spending a fortune there, and he's polling is showing him close, and there he is sitting at only three cents, which to me is is very very low. Yeah, and I think a, a couple of things. It's interesting to see um, when polling like that comes out, a lot of people will go to the markets and see if there's, you know, uh, forecasters really believe there's any value in that polling. Obviously, they are not convinced. Mm. Um, on the other hand, the other billionaire in the race, uh, Bloomberg, is, has a similar strategy, uh, and that seems to be paying off more if you look at them in you know, for instance, the Democratic nominee market or overall who's going to win the White House. Yeah, let's skip to the Democratic nominee uh, market for a second as, as you bring it up. Um, if we have sure. that one, it has uh, Bernie Sanders leading 48 percent chance to win, uh, according to the market. Bloomberg is second at 31, which is incredible when you think about it. The guy started his campaign yep. like three months ago. Uh, Biden at 10, Buttigieg nine. And Buttigieg is interesting, too. A guy who is basically won or had a good showing in the first two primaries and he's not getting that bounce of momentum for whatever reason he's only down there at nine percent i mean for some reason hillary clinton that people just cannot let it go she's not running for president it's not happening but she's still at seven percent on here so in theory you could sell the buy a no right on at seven percent for hillary clinton and make seven percent a little over seven percent on your money really without too much risk, I would think. Yeah, and and certainly a lot of people are doing that. Um, what is and and also I should point out with uh, Clinton, I noticed there was a story the other day that 
<clears throat> Bloomberg was considering her for a VP pick, um, and and a couple of markets reacting to that. So um, she she continues to show up in in the market. <laughs> uh, let me go to uh, uh, South Carolina here, if we could. South Carolina is an interesting one because Biden is like his firewall. He's at forty four percent chance. Bernie Sanders at fifty three. Still leading there. Steyer at five. And again, Steyer has shown double digits polling, you know, 15, 16 percent in some of these polls. Uh, Buttigieg at four. And Elizabeth Warren, it just does not seem to be happening for, for Liz this time at one percent. Yeah. And there um, obviously there was a time when she was surging in the markets um, and, and uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks that has been uh, the reverse. I know with South Carolina, there was a new um, poll out today from NBC and uh, Wall Street Journal showing Sanders uh, with a double digit lead over Biden mm. um, and Biden dropping, I believe, 11 points. So there's uh, again, it's another circumstance where uh, polling is, you know, uh, impacting prices and, and vice versa. Um, I think one interesting distinction between us and a lot of polling is if you look at all these market that markets that we've uh, kind of walked through South Carolina, Nevada, Denom, and the White House, um, you can see where January, uh, a time where a lot of polling started to show Sanders uh, potentially leading the Democratic nomination, we were probably at least a week to two weeks ahead of that trend. So that's where uh, there seems to be some real value in terms of capturing trends earlier than polling. Um, do you find that uh, that traders are generally trying to like buy swings and predict what's going on? Uh, you know, you have there's a certain amount of traders you can have in each contract. I know, but uh, there's obviously sure. a lot of people who are in, a lot of people doing this are in the know, right? They're not they're not morons. There's a lot of people who really follow this stuff closely and, and spend a lot of time on it. Um, is it something where people are trying to really just un understand the market, or is it more people that are sort of insiders who might have a better you know sort of ground level view on what's actually going on? Um, I, I think it runs the gamut, much like with the stock market. You've got your day traders, you've got your your buy and hold um, strategy. It just varies. It depends on the market, for one. I um, I certainly know that there are a lot of traders that will will buy on and and sell on the swings, and and that's their whole strategy. Others want to come, put ten dollars down, and just follow the market. And you know, it's another way to to follow the election and get engaged. All right. Will Jennings from predicted.org. If people want to come and sign up and and uh, go in and lose their money to me, how do they do that? Um, it's very easy. Go to the site. Uh, it takes just a couple of minutes to open an account. And, uh, you know, you could be trading by tomorrow's debate if you like. All right. We'll um, have market stuff for that. Thanks so much. Will Jennings, uh, one, before we go here, let me just show you the uh, presidential election. This is the overall election now. Who's most likely to win it? Uh, Donald Trump, at number one, at 54 percent. Bernie Sanders, 30 percent. Bloomberg, it's amazing, 19 percent in third place. And then Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and obviously Hillary Clinton. You could still, you could still make 2 percent on Hillary Clinton not winning the presidential election. It's incredible. Will Jennings from Predicted. Thanks for coming on. Back in a second. Thank you. Can anyone tell me um, what the hell is going on? Because I don't understand what is going on with the media right now. I, 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 we, are we in a parallel dimension? Am I supposed to, am I not in on the joke? Is that it? 
Is there another joke coming? What is it exactly? This comes from Slate. And I, again, if you're listening to this uh, with your kids in the car or watching on YouTube with your kids sitting next to you, uh, you should stop that right now for this particular story from Slate. It's a letter and it's supposed to give you a nice little rundown of their life together. Here we go. My wife and I have been in an open marriage for five years. On the whole, our relationship has been uncommonly open and supportive. Well, that's nice. For as long as I've known her, my wife has been interested in incest role play. Not as nice as the beginning of the letter. Well, it isn't my cup of tea. (laughs) It isn't my cup of tea exactly. I've been willing and happy to support her exploration. Often she will have me dress up as her father, wear his cologne, etc., while she wears her high school clothes. Dude, run. I mean, let's be honest about it. Just freaking run. If this is happening in your life, get in the car, uh, run to the car first, get in the car, turn it on, and just press the gas and just drive in any direction. If you go into a, a stone wall, all the better, right? You'll forget this. Maybe amnesia will kick in. Um, she goes on and it gets even worse. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, I love the title of this. My wife wants to have a, uh, wants us to have sex with her brother. I'm not opposed in principle. I've got news for you. You don't have a principle to be opposed on. That's the issue. Uh, she goes on and says, uh, the, the author, this is a guy goes on and says, after a few drinks, my wife got talk, uh, talking fairly explicitly about of our, some of our family role playing that she and I are into and her brother who I thought would be kind of horrified was not only entirely supportive, but vaguely expressed interest in exploring this with us. In principle, I don't have a problem with the idea. I love that line. (laughs) Uh, I'm not really into that uh, element like my wife is. I love this part. I'm just worried about how this could affect my relationship with my brother-in-law. Is there a way for me to make this happen without it getting weird? No. There's no way for you to do this without it being weird. It is weird by definition. You can't take something that's weird and do it some other way and make it not weird. It's weird. You're weird. She's weird. You're all weird. The brother's super weird. Okay, they're all weird. Get in your car and slam it into a stone wall. You're going to feel a lot better about the whole situation. What I love, this, this is an advice column. Like someone's writing like a Dear Abby letter, right? The answer from Slate is fascinating. They're not, they don't approve, which is almost surprising in today's world. But here's why they don't approve. approve. It could make holidays and other family get-togethers especially uncomfortable for you. Well, you know, it, it really could. It re- that is true, and I fully agree with that analysis. It really, you know, having the turkey and, and the stuffing and, and, you know, the incest pops up in conversation. It could be a tad awkward and... I'm glad that's covered here. Uh, I'll, it does end on some really good advice, though, and I want you to think about this. If you're ever looking, um, you're looking inward and you're trying to figure out you know, what's a good thing to do right now, if I'm ever faced with a situation like this, this is good advice. I don't think you should do anything that makes you uncomfortable, particularly if it involves having sex with your wife and her brother. Huh. Who knew? I mean, that's pretty solid advice, and... Uh, Thank you, Slate, for giving it to us. This one, I just, I had to print out the entire article because I want to read this to you and I want you to tell me what is happening. I don't know what happened in this story. 
I'm begging you to tell me what occurred because it's a story. It's about a thing. Something seemingly happened because they went through the, the whole process of printing the story, putting it on the Internet. I don't know what happened. We are in a point where the the woke culture has brought us so far. We can't even understand human com communication doesn't even seem to work anymore. Listen to this. Rosario Dawson has come out in a candid interview in, uh, in which she discussed her relationship with Cory Booker. Of course, Dawson's an actress, Booker the senator, former presidential candidate. 2018, Dawson shared a post on Instagram in celebration of Pride Month, um, which many t uh, at the time took to mean she was coming out herself. During a conversation with Bustle, however, she clarified that it wasn't her intention to do so in the post, though she is now officially coming out. Okay, she's coming out. She's coming out as what? What is she coming out as? Like, what's the thing she's coming out as? Because if you're coming out, it indicates that you're going to tell us what you're coming out as, right? People keep, this is a quote from Dawson, people keep saying that I came out. I didn't do that. I mean, it's not inaccurate, but I never did come out. I mean, I guess I am now. Okay, you're coming out as what? Though Dawson has not shared how she identifies, she added, I've never had a relationship in that space so it's never felt like an authentic calling to me. So she's come out, but she's dating Booker, but she's never had a relationship. Dawson and Booker went public with their relationship in late 2018 after months of speculation, and the actress has spoken out about dating him in interviews. In an interview with Women's Health, she opened up about the sweet morning ritual they share, telling the magazine... Every morning that we wake, do we don't wake up together? He sends me a so he sends me a song. Oh, I knew I hated Cory Booker. I mean, I knew it. Uh, which every, means every morning he holds our relationship in his mind and heart for a few minutes before he goes off into his big day. I've just read to you the entire article. What occurred? She came out as what? She said she was coming out. She's dating a guy. So you'd think, okay, she's no, no longer dating a guy. She's coming out. And now she's dating girls, but she says she's never dated someone in that space, whatever that means. She's coming out and then not telling us what she's come out as for a freaking for for an area of conversation that is so completely dominated with getting the pronouns right. How are we supposed to get them right when we don't even know what they are? I, I don't care at all what Rosario Dawson is. I don't care who she likes. I don't care who she hangs out with. And I really, really don't care what Cory Booker does or likes or who he hangs out with. But I do care if we have any possibility of human interaction and media reports that can actually outline a story that makes any sense. This makes absolutely no sense. And you think that's the low point of the media? It's not. We have a very vital Supreme Court update. Everyone's been waiting for this Ruth Bader Ginsburg update. I know you've been waiting about it. It's true. There's a big one and it's breaking news right now. Here's the headline. Ruth Bader Ginsburg praised for rocking glittery high heels. It's the uh, headline. It's, uh, she's praised. She's rocking glittery high heels. That's the, uh, that's the story. They did have another headline for her, though, and it was a little bit better. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's shoe game is, quote, 
absolute fire, end quote. So now you know. Sure, she's wrong on every single ruling of the Supreme Court, but her shoe game, absolute fire. Back in a second. One of the reasons Donald Trump was so successful initially on The Apprentice was because of something long forgotten. He was the rare suit-wearing old white guy that brought in black viewers in big numbers. Becoming an out-of-the-closet Republican kind of hurt those numbers a little bit, but is there a chance he gets some of them back? Especially when he's facing a Democratic field with all the diversity of individual slices of Wonder Bread. Joining me to discuss is a writer for The Blaze and host of the new masterclass, Talk to Your Guppy and Your Puppy, Animal Communication Tricks That Every Pet Parent Can Use. Available now, it's Aaron Cohen. Welcome to the program. I'm so happy you've had me on to just talk about this Masterclass exclusively and nothing else. Uh, well, we're going to get to that, that in just Is that not what the show's about? In just a second. We're gonna t- get to okay. the, we'll get to that in just a All second. Right. Let's first talk about the election, uh, because it is an interesting thing. You've written a lot uh, about this on The Blaze, mm-hmm. where um, black voters are a really interesting contingency here, because and really it was a thing where Trump had a, a really strong connection, seemingly for a long time, with, with the black community. And now... <laughs> Maybe not so much, but it's changing. There does seem to be some sort of a dynamic change when whenever you're speaking of things like, you know, the Kanye West thing is the kind of the highest profile thing. But when you're talking on the other side with with people like Pete Buttigieg, uh, where there does not seem to be uh, incredible excitement uh, in the in the African-American community. How do you how do you set the, the stage here? For yeah, this? One thing I think people do forget that Donald Trump was a guy that black people liked when he was just a pop culture icon. He was referenced in a lot of black culture, whether it's TV, music, whatever. Um, switching to the Republican Party, that certainly, I mean, that changes the whole thing. And when you start adopting the policies and the reputation of the party that some black people have, right or wrong, uh, that's changed the whole thing. But I do think he's now sort of turning things to try to make more of an effort uh, to reach out to those black voters. The problem is there's such, it's like turning a ship, you know, it, it's, it takes so much because there's so much momentum against it. He's looking to get not... 20% of the black vote. He's looking to get from 8% to 10%. Yeah. And maybe that's all it takes. He didn't need but 8% last time. Uh, but I think who he's running against makes a big difference. If he's running against Biden, maybe he has a hard time doing that. If he's running against Pete, I mean, all bets are off because Pete is, what, he's been at 0% with black voters for the entire time. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sanders is kind of a more interesting case because he, he struggled with black voters against Hillary Clinton because she was so strong with that demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now people are sort of turning to him a little bit more because He's he feels like the candidate that can beat Donald Trump. And I think that's kind of what it's about. So now that he's getting more momentum, you're starting to see black voters look at him and say, well, Biden doesn't seem like he has it. So maybe we'll go to Sanders because really we just want somebody who can win this election. It's interesting because, you know, when you break down the individual policy uh, positions and many of the cultural positions of, of black voters, they don't necessarily align hardcore with the Democratic Party. Yet, as you point out, I mean, you know, it was, I think, 96% voted Democrat with Obama. Mm-hmm. It was about 92% um, last time with Hillary. Uh, you know, these are numbers that you saw in, like, Saddam Hussein's Iraq, right? Like, you know, this <laughs> is a comparison for you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is what I do here. Um, but it's really universal almost, mm-hmm. like, close to universal. Why is that? And is it just a, is it just a sort of perception um, that, you know, that the racism among Republicans is a real thing? Mm-hmm. Or is it, is there some, is it a, you know, bigger government versus smaller government? What, what's the cause of that? Some of it is the perception of the party as having, whether it's racist people or being racist as a whole, depending yeah. on who you ask. 
Some of it is the Republican Party stances on things like social justice, um, issues that I think on the right sometimes get minimized and sort of stereotyped as, oh, this is just woke stuff that we don't care about. Right. But issues like policing in minority communities, that's a, that's a big thing for black communities. Huge. And when you see that get sort of mocked with something like the Colin Kaepernick thing to where that issue gets pushed aside as, oh, that's just a far left wing issue. I think that alienates some black voters because they see themselves and say, do you not care about this issue that affects me and the people that I love? When somebody in a community, when a black person gets shot by a police officer and they feel like it's unjust, people identify with that. Black voters identify with that and say, well, that could be me. What if that's me next time? Yeah. And so it's a very personal thing to where they say, if, if I can't look at the Republican Party and say, you care about this, well, it's going to make it hard for me to put that vote there, even if I do like what you're doing on the economy. I like what you've done with criminal justice reform, uh, black unemployment rate. Those things matter, but the things that I think the Republican Party sometimes skips over, those matter too, and we have to sort of acknowledge that and reach out to that. Um, you know, I, I, it's important, I think, for for Republicans to be able to communicate that, hey, like, what we want to do here is call balls and strikes. There are some times that bad cops do bad things. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it must be not not just a little bit, but needs to be called out in a big way. On the other hand, when they aren't doing bad things, we need to make sure that we're defending the officers who are protecting us. And I think like with a Kaepernick situation, it certainly comes off as Kaepernick, no matter what the situation is, is always going to side mm -hmm. uh, against the officer because he doesn't like officers. It's got really nothing to do with skin color, I think, with, with Kaepernick. It's, a, it's almost an anti-cop thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with when a sort of mascot takes control of an issue or a movement because then the issue takes on all the problems of the person. And Kaepernick has a ton of problems yeah. with the way he represents himself, the things he believes. I think the big problem with conversations like this, especially when it comes to police, it's a sensitivity on both sides where when one side says something to the other, there's a defensiveness. And when the other side says something, there's a defensiveness and nobody is engaging the issue. There's people yeah. saying, don't accuse me of being racist. Or there's people saying, you're all racist. And there's, they're talking past each other in this way. And so it's hard to bring up this conversation in a way that causes people to think deeply and try to empathize with the other side about what they're feeling, what they're thinking. And I get that reaction when I write about these issues from a lot of readers, a lot of people on social media is a defensiveness. And it's, yeah. not, it's not an attack. It's an attempt to bridge this gap so this conversation can be had. Whatever the result may be, the conversation has to be had on a level where there's people seeking mutual understanding. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, last book was basically framed around this type of story where, you know, uh, it was a woman who was pulled over. She was very upset. She was a black woman who just moved into a new area. Officer, uh, it started off fine, but they kind of didn't understand each other. Neither one would give ground, turned into a huge uh, incident mm. and turned really bad. And, and his point was it was about just understanding who you're talking with and the perspective they're coming from, because if you don't do that, you don't get anywhere. Now, look, I'll, I'll mock Colin Kaepernick all day, sure. largely because of his terrible quarterback play. Um, but if you look at like Kaepernick versus a guy like Malcolm Jenkins, um, who is a safety for the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is only partially Philadelphia this, Eagles this propaganda. This sounds very homerish. I don't really know where <laughs> totally we're going. Is. Here, it totally is. It's about your fandom here. But like both of them, I would say, are totally wrong on this issue. Like I think that they both see uh, almost uh, exclusive fault among uh, police officers, far too much uh, from for my comfort level. But when all this happened, both of them took a stand on the field. Um, and, you know, and undoubtedly Jenkins is a better player than Kaepernick right. is. But Jenkins approach was he took a stand, but he was trying to be respectful. And when the NFL came to him and said, look, OK, like maybe we are missing this. We need we'll work with you. How can we what charities can we work with? How can we do this? He engaged with them. Where Kaepernick just, you know, put on his pig socks mm -hmm. and left the league and yelled about it and sued everybody. 
And like the, those two approaches are vastly different, but one I think is effective and the other one isn't. Yeah, the thing when you talk about kneeling, that was supposed to be raise awareness and then let's do something productive. It yeah. was never supposed to be, let's create enmity between black people and police officers. And let's not talk about police officers like it's just an all white force of sure. people. Like yeah. there's black police officers who are dealing with these same issues in these communities about how do they do their job while maintaining the trust of the community. And so it does have to, I like that Malcolm Jenkins and others have gone forward to say, okay, we've got to come to the table of the NFL, of the police officers in these communities and say, how can we build the trust back up? We can't just keep a, an antagonistic position toward this. We have to say, okay, you've heard us, you know what our issue is, so now what can we do? And I think there's a, a segment of people, and this, this plays into when it comes to the election, there's a segment of people who aren't willing to do that, the Kaepernick sort of segment of people who are saying, it's all protest, protest, protest right. forever. You can't protest forever. You know? No, it doesn't work. You, you gotta get somewhere eventually. Um, unless it's your business, right? Sure. You know, and for him, I mean, uh, it seems he's like, got a book coming out. He got a million dollar book deal. He's yeah. selling Nikes, and selling he, out. And, and, he, and he could have tried out for the NFL. Absolutely. He could have gone to the XFL. He could have done all of these different things, but never wanted to because his business is not Weird broken. how the XFL didn't pay $20 million. <laughs> I don't strange, know how that right? works. I, the whole league isn't I think, $20 I, mean, million. I have to say that's probably racist on their part, but I'll look <laughs> into it more. Look know? into it more. More reporting coming on the place. <laughs> so let's go back to the uh, can candidates here for a second. Buttigieg is really an interesting thing, and people are talking about this a lot. He's getting 0%. He has not been able to increase uh, his African-American support, despite a, a pretty big um, uh, rise in the polls generally, obviously almost well, basically winning one of the two states and coming in second and the other. Um, you know, he really was he rose to the level of prominence largely because of Barack Obama, who identified him very early and said, here's an up and comer, comer in the party. It's one of the reasons why we actually took him seriously initially when no one else was because he's from South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he's a mayor. So why would he be going to the presidency? Well, I mean, when Barack Obama, uh, you know, kind of comes out and says this is important, you know, the party tends to listen. I think Joe Biden feels that way. And he's <laughs> exactly. And Biden, I think, you know, is feeling that. I think I, the 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 postscript of this election, I think, is going to be a big thing about how Biden was not supported by Obama behind the scenes. And Buttigieg really was. Yeah. Well, I don't know that Buttigieg is going to win because of that. But let's get to, you know, the there's sort of this idea. Um, and it's shown in some polls. We have a poll from The Washington Post that shows this, that uh, culturally, African-Americans are one of the least likely uh, groups to support a gay candidate. But it's, it's 41 percent total um, with a uh, excuse me, a gay candidate. Um, that is uh, it's something that I, I don't know what Buttigieg can do. Is that a real thing in the in, in the in the African-American community? Do you see that as a real a barrier for Buttigieg I, to excel, or do they just do they come around once they realize he's you know just like I think there else. can be something to that issue. I think it's particularly generational. Um, I also think I mean let's be honest, people who are Christians, people who are members of the church, mm -hmm. uh, there's a socially conservative aspect to that to where sure. they might hesitate with a gay candidate. I don't think that's the cause. I don't think you even have to get to Pete's sexuality in order to look at the problems with him. You look at the reputation he has in South Bend and the things he did there, and you look at the way he talks about uh, black issues and the way he even gets around black people. You saw that clip recently where he was talking about uh, black money, and he just gets nervous around black people. He doesn't have a way of like... <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. He, he gets nervous he, he around black He seems nervous people. around in a room he full does. of black people. He's like, he's tense. What do I say? How do I talk about it? And you can see the pressure of that 0% in the black community sort of like wearing him down. And so I don't think it has, I don't think his sexuality disqualifies him, um, particularly not in the Democratic Party. I mean, if you look at the issues that that party pushes and what people vote for, 
I don't think there's any basis to say that Democratic voters are disqualifying somebody because of their sexuality. Yeah, no, and I don't think I don't think Republican voters honestly would either. I mean, look, you know, they've certainly embraced Peter Thiel when he was up. If he's at the RNC speaking, they love the guy. But I do think that when you know we talked about this, we started this conversation with talking about the difference between eight percent African American support and ten percent African American support. I mean, is this a type of issue um, that uh, can move it just enough? For Trump to be able to to make inroads, and you could see, look, Trump has tried played this politically in a certain way. He's brought Kim Kardashian to the White House. Mm-hmm. He's made a big deal out of Kanye West. He's made big, high-profile um, uh, justice reform a big part of his platform. He's he's had big pardons that have been spectacles. He's obviously trying here. He ran a commercial in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. I mean, because of this. So you know that little bit of movement is there enough vulnerability there for him to move that a few points? When it comes to Pete, absolutely. I mean. He's Pete is not going to turn people out in the black community for to vote for him. He's not going to get them enthusiastic about it. And so that opens the door for people to say, well, you know, I'm not really into Pete. So maybe things have gone okay with Trump. So maybe I'll just vote for him. The people who vote more practically, the people who vote and say, well, my tax uh, refund looked a little bit better this year. You know, my my job, my wages went up. You know, somebody I know got a job. The people who vote practically like that will probably just kind of swallow whatever they feel about Trump and say, okay will go that way, and so that might be enough to get to that 10%. Um, The thing that Trump is battling against is that he presents himself in a way that makes people uncomfortable, and the Democratic candidates tend to do a better job of presenting themselves and their stances on racial issues in a way that makes people feel more comfortable. And I know people don't like to talk about it like that, but people do vote based on their feelings. People vote based on how somebody makes them feel, because most people don't actually understand a lot of the issues and the things behind how the economy got where it got. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're, as Donald Trump, for, for different reasons that people can argue about the validity of them, has made black voters feel a certain way about how he talks and about his beliefs and about policies he's had in the past, he's fighting against that. So even while he's putting out these policies and say, look what I did for criminal justice and unemployment, he still has to fight against the default of people saying, well, he's Trump, he might be kind of racist. So that's a hard thing to do. The facts are on the side of Republicans in terms of what he's done as a president, but he's fighting against reputation and what people think and how people feel. And emotions are a powerful thing when it comes to voting. I want to apologize because we're out of time. We don't have time to get to your master class this time. Well, Uh, we'll have to have you back. That has to be because of your racism. I mean... I mean, I can't if think you were not racist, you would give me 10 more minutes to talk about this. <laughs> you know, you're, you're probably right. Well, you're probably right. We'll have to, I'll have to take some real soul searching on that one and get back to the master class later. I can't believe you. Aaron Cullen, thanks Thank for coming you. on the program. <laughs> back in a second. Well, we have Nancy Pelosi sucks pen right here. Yes, the best pen that's ever been created. You can get it at nancypelosisuckspen.com. And you may think to yourself, I'm not going to light $19.40 on fire and get a Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. First of all, it's the greatest value, I mean, in human history. Look at that thing. It's beautiful. Secondly, think of Tom Steyer. He's lit like $200 million on fire just to lose an election. You don't have that kind of dedication. Remember, Steyer's like a crappy billionaire. He's not like, you know, Trump or Bloomberg or Gates. The guy's barely over a billion. This is really going to hurt his lifestyle. We're talking, you know, he's now going to be on, on, on Lyft uh, or Uber, um, UberX, taking rides everywhere. Uh, he's going to have a one-bedroom apartment in the bad side of town. This is, gonna be, this is a very poor billionaire we're talking about. And I hope you feel some sort of remorse for the way you're thinking about him right now. By the way, he's also offering $22 minimum wage. We may need to do something on that this week because I'm fascinated. As why don't we go to $200? Why, why, not, just, why not just keep going higher and higher? 
Go to stewdoesamerica.com, get all the social links, uh, and subscribe to YouTube as well as blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. Good night.